0: This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 14 of Equestrian Legends. Hello, I'm Chris Stafford, and my guest today is show organiser, journalist, press officer, historian, art collector, and author, Switzerland's Max E. Amann. Max E. Amann was born on October 18, 1938, in Ermattingen, Switzerland. The eldest of seven children, his family used horses on their farm near the German border, which presented him with an opportunity to ride and drive at an early age – and whilst the rest of Europe was engaged in World War Two, His career began in commerce and moved to journalism, during which time he was chief editor of the Lucerne Tagblatt, Swiss American Review, and Lani Hippique. He served as foreign correspondent in New York for Swiss, German, and Austrian newspapers, during which time his attention switched to equestrian sports coverage. Max was the co-founder and first president of the International Alliance of Equestrian Journalists in 1974, which he saw as a need to improve relations with horse show organisers, a role which he put into practice as press officer for numerous international shows, including six Olympic Games, World Equestrian Games and World Cups, amongst others. He also served as president of the Swiss Press Association. As an organiser himself, he founded and advised international shows and served on multiple committees. He was instrumental in founding the FEI World Cup Series for Jumping and Driving and also the World Breeding Foundation and International Jumping Riders Club. He continues to serve as a member of the FEI appeals jury for several European shows. As an historian, Max has published the history of the equestrian events at the Olympic Games 1912-2008 to 2008, and the history of World, Continental and Regional FEI Championships. His lifelong love of art has involved him in the Foundation for Naive and Outsider Art in St. Gallen, Switzerland, and he is the author of four books on art in German. Max was awarded a gold medal for World Cup Jumping, Equestrian Personality of the Year by the International Jumping Riders Club and Press Officer of the Year by the International Alliance of Equestrian Journalists. The Max E. Amman Trophy is awarded annually to the winner of the Jumping World Cup Qualifier at the Helsinki International Horse Show. Max and his wife Corinne live in Bern, Switzerland, and have three children and two grandchildren. You have done so many things in your life, mainly in the horse world, and typically we know the full name of the guests on the Equestrian Legends show, but there's a story behind your middle initial, isn't there?
1: Yes, there is, because I I don't have a middle name. Uh, At that time in Switzerland, it wasn't necessary to have two names, so most of them, including myself, have only one name. But funny enough, when about... 1956, when I was very young, I had a a small job in La Chottefonds, which is the French part of uh, Switzerland, and when I entered the office, I was greeted with a name, starting with the E. It was just a habit of that uh, Mm -hmm. company. Uh, that everybody got another name. And so I was called during these few months I was there with this first name E. Then I forgot it. And then when I came to the United States in 64, and I filled in the immigration papers, and it says middle initial. And I had one, and so I remembered the E. And so I put in the E. And uh, it became quite uh, important because I was a foreign correspondent in New York and uh, and in the newspaper, you are at that time in the Neue Zürcher Zeitung for whom I wrote uh, they published a lot of my articles under the initials so instead of M.A. Max Amann they published M.E.A. and that looked very good and when I came back to the the Switzerland that became chief editor of the daily newspaper, uh, they called me either uh, the chef or Mia, M-E-A.
0: You will forever be known as Max E. Amman.
1: That's right,
0: that's right. All right, well, born in Switzerland and now currently living in Bern, you've accomplished so much. I wonder what, what uh, occupies your time and what motivates you now at this time of life?
1: Yeah, I'm still interested in the, in the history of the equestrian sport. I wrote in 2006, I wrote the book, The History of All the FEI Championships, uh, including the Pan-American Games and uh, the North American Young Riders Championships. And then I wrote The History of the Olympic Games. Uh, the book should come out uh, next year. Uh, but... In addition to that, the history of the Equestment Sport, I'm very much interested in in art and our collection is just uh, traveling at the moment. It was shown uh, last year, or this year, sorry, in uh, in a museum in Switzerland and now in February it will be shown in a museum in France and in uh, August it will be shown in a museum in uh, Germany.
0: And and that, of course, is naive and outsider art that you're particularly interested in. That's
1: right, that's right. That's what, what we collect, yes.
0: So how long have you been collecting art?
1: Since I'm a boy, because I, drew, I grew up in a small village on, on the Lake of Constance, and that village was quite famous for its painters. Three of them lived in, in the village, and they were always visiting painters at that time, You know, the artists didn't work in the ateliers thinking of something spectacular. At that time, they went out to the nature and painted nature. And so I met a lot of artists, and one of them uh, took me more or less under his wing and took me to openings and to uh, art exhibitions. And that's how I started to buy art when I was, I think, 18 or 17.
0: Wow. Now, do you paint yourself?
1: No. 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 no, no. I mean, no. I don't think that opera critics have to sing. And, uh, but I think all three children we have are, are quite talented uh, in, in painting and doing art.
0: Obviously, that's a very fascinating uh, occupation outside of the horse world. We're going to t- talk a lot more about that and, and all the things that you've done in the horse world. But first, I want to visit your early days, Max, because you mentioned you were born in the north of Switzerland, a Mattingen in Switzerland, in 1938. Of course, uh, this was uh, just on the verge of the outbreak of World War II, but those early days as a young boy growing up of a large family, tell us what you remember.
1: I think I grew up uh, because it was a village on a lake with a big forest behind it. So I spent a lot of time in the forest, a lot of time on the lake. And uh, and of course, uh, since I was born just before the outbreak of the, the war, uh, I, I experienced the war because across the lake uh, you see Germany. And I remember in the last years of uh, the last two years of the war, uh, there was a, a bombing of Friedrichshafen, of Schaffhausen, and that you, you could hear and see part of the fire that came. And I remember, and that's probably one of the last things I can clearly remember, I was standing, just going to school on one of my first days in '45, when somebody told me that the war was over, which I believe was 8th of May, 1945.
0: And, and there was some accidental bombing, I believe, wasn't there, of Switzerland by Germans, and, and they invaded the airspace of Switzerland continually, didn't they, at that time? Uh, it was a, it was an interesting period for, for Switzerland because, obviously, it was a natural uh, refugee destination, although I believe Switzerland was uh, very strict about the number of refugees it took. Did you feel any of the fallout, if you will, of World War Two in terms of... Uh, of the refugees and uh, the Switzerland's uh, situation within Europe? I think
1: that the the Swiss were scared because they knew they were a little island in the middle of the war. You know, Germany in the north, Austria in the east, Italy, who was an ally of the the Germans in the south. France was occupied by the Germans, so we were surrounded by, by, you know, uh, not our friends. And so I think the Swiss were scared and 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 I'm sure that in the early years of the of the war uh, the the Nazis they had plans to invade Switzerland, because i'm I'm sure that, that this little white space in the middle of, of uh, Europe was a, a sore spot for them. Also, maybe the Switzerland was also a good uh, place to exchange spies and news and uh, money and uh, merchandise.
0: Yes I seem to remember it really was a haven for es- espionage and there was some irony wasn't there because the Swiss were making aircraft parts for German aircraft that were that, that were being aggressive to them so there was a certain irony
1: wasn't Not irony was I think you know we had a big big uh uh, weapon factory in Zurich, the Burle, and they made uh, a very famous, uh, what we call Flap, uh, um, a cannon that uh, shot down airplanes, and that one was sold to both sides.
0: Yes. It's, it, yeah. So,
1: which is not a good sign for Switzerland. No, indeed.
0: Well, very early memories for you growing up in war torn Europe, but uh, somewhat protected. Tell, tell us about your parents, uh, Max and uh, Francisco. What do you remember of the family relations in those early days with having a large family at that time?
1: Yeah, but. Uh, you know, the, the large family wasn't so visible because, you know, we had a, a big farm, not cows, but horses. And my father had two businesses. One was uh, a local transport, which was that time done with horses. And secondly, he bought all the fruits and vegetables from all the farmers within, I don't know, 20 kilometers and uh, sent it and uh, sold it to the the big markets and the big uh, shopping centers in Zurich, St. Gallen, etc. So, there was a big house, was a big uh, barn, uh, there was always things to do, so it was not so that we stayed for, you know, so the seven of us uh, in, in, in a small apartment.
0: Were you expected to have any involvement with the horses then, if it was part of the family business? It, was that your earliest involvement with horses, Max?
1: Well, I think at that time you were expected to do work. Uh, and as I said, we had cows, but we had, uh, we had uh, horses, so they had to be fed. And so we had uh, big fields. We had to go there to hay and to... Uh, whatever you know was grown the potatoes, so you were expected to help that that was normal and uh, and since at that time the whole horse transport was done the whole transport, including picking up the fruits and the vegetables from the farmers uh, was done by horses. I was uh, part of the driving people, so I drove i would say on every. Afternoon, I didn't go to school. I drove horses.
0: Wonderful picture there, Max. So driving would be the first thing you learned probably before you started riding, was it? Yeah, we were
1: driving. Uh, you know, I didn't drive for pleasure. I drove because my father asked me, and then I enjoyed it. Okay. Riding was something else, because on Sunday, my father sometimes said, well, today we are going riding. And then, uh, because our horses were always rather light horses, uh, there were uh, Oldenburgs or Hanoverians or Holsteins, and so you could drive them during the week, and on, on Sunday you could ride them.
0: Wonderful. Now, what about your siblings and your mother? Were they interested in horses at all?
1: Uh, I would say much less. They also were much younger. I was born in '38, and then the first brother, Walter, was born in '47. And the uh, last one, Rolf, was born in '55, so they were much younger. So when, for example, when Rolf uh, became uh, uh, a, young bo- a young man where he could help, by that time I had already left uh, home and was already in, uh, in the United States.
0: Well, let's talk about those early days of your education before we talk more about your horse involvement and how you got on in later in life to doing the things that you've done in the horse world, Max. But first of all came school, of course. Were you a keen scholar? Were you interested as a student? Or was it just something you felt you had to do?
1: No, I think I was a, I was a good student, at least in primary school and in secondary school, because I, I think it went... Uh, Without much effort, the whole school. No, I, I had no problem with the school.
0: And they were, of course, all in Ermattingen. Uh, uh,
1: they were in Ermattingen, uh, yes. yeah.
0: And, and then you you went on to commercial school as as well. Now, how did that come about, Max? Did you decide what you wanted to do with your career at that point?
1: Yeah, sure. You, I mean, it was in... Uh, in 15, uh, in 53, you start thinking what you do, and I thought maybe I become a teacher. And then, of course, because I was so involved in my father's business, I also helped him with the bookkeeping. Uh, I, I, the most intelligent thing to do was to do a commercial school, especially at that time our, uh, my brothers and sisters were still young or not even born, and uh, so I didn't know what they would do, but here I was with the knowledge of the business, with the knowledge of the horses, uh, so it was the most logical thing to do a commercial school.
0: So from commercial school then, how did your interest develop to doing the things that you've done with horses? As I said in my introduction, you've been a press officer, a journalist, an author, historian, of course, and you've, been found, you've founded so many or co-founded so many organizations. How did you transition, Max, from commercial school and the early days of your career into the horse world?
1: Yeah, I think there are two things. One thing is that, that of course, I, I went, you know, in 45, uh, my father started to compete with four horses and uh, with the four in hand driving and I went with him. I was more or less the, the groom in the beginning, very small and then a little bit uh, bigger. And so I was always involved in, in horses, horse competitions, and I was never a spectator as such. From 1945 on, I was a part of, 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 of a competing man. Later on, I became a journalist. And the second thing was that during my commercial school, I was already interested in many other things, and I started to go to the local paper and uh, ask if I could write little things.
0: So early days of journalism, then combining your love of horses, as so many equestrian journalists do, but then you became a foreign correspondent. Tell us how that came about when you traveled to the US.
1: Yeah, as I said, I, I did a commercial school and then uh, since my father was still fit and everything, I, I uh, worked for, uh, at the different places. I went to uh, to La Chauteur in the French part. I went to Hamburg in Germany where I worked. And one day I decided to go to the United States. And at that time it was not so difficult to get a visa, uh, because you still had you the United States still had the immigration laws of I believe nineteen twenty eight or twenty nine where the Anglo Saxons from Europe Which the Swiss were considered part of it had quite a quota, so I got a a visa and I went to the United States and on my on my learned job in transport, commercial transport, but also with already uh, connections to some newspapers when I started to write.
0: Now, did you have any involvement with horses directly at that time, Max? Were you riding or driving? Did you go to competitions?
1: No. Don't forget, in, uh, I got, after my army in 1957, I, I, I got very ill. I got paralyzed. And uh, so I couldn't ride anymore. Or I could ride maybe you know, sitting on a horse and walking around, but I couldn't do any, any jumping or anything anymore. So no, I didn't compete. The only thing I went to do horse shows, first my father when he was competing. And later on, when I started to write about it uh, as a journalist.
0: And, of course, that began an incredible career as a journalist, and uh, you were, of course, the co-founder and uh, of the and first president of the International Alliance of Equestrian Journalists. You were chief yeah. editor of the Swiss American Review, the Lucerne Tagblatt in, in Lucerne. So many uh, roles that you played, and also your role as press officer. That, I mean, must have been a very interesting period, because it was at the time when a lot of organizations were being formed, and you were at the catalyst of that. I mean, you were founder and and managed the uh, FEI World Cup jumping at a time when sponsorship was becoming so important to the sport. Do you remember the struggles that you had in those early days, Max?
1: Yeah, I remembered how how badly the press was treated in the... In the 60s and in the, in the early 70s, because there were horse shows like Rome, they couldn't care less about the foreign press. They only cared about the local press, and uh, and, and so it, it became. Uh, and I also realized that that how that many many sports uh, that had not existed before, like uh, uh, rhythm rhythm gymnastics, or uh, or sports who had played a very small uh, media role, like tennis, like golf, like curling, had become much more aggressive, especially tennis, for example, who until '66, when it became professional, had played a very small role in the media. And, of course, the loser was were the sports who did not. Uh, be aggressive like those others, and uh, one of them, and uh, probably the most prominent one, was the equestrian sport. And so, in, in discussions in the 70s with my colleagues, with riders, we realized that and, and until unless the, 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 we do something to, to get the media interest back, the equestrian sport will fade into a, a third-class niche sport
0: i 'm curious, Max, how you made that transition from the, from the mainstream media into the equestrian media to become obviously as passionate as you were and a catalyst for change
1: yeah, I, when I was in New York I, I earned my money and uh, to pay my bills uh, with writing about politics and a little bit about Broadway, about the opera about uh, culture, about general teams, but I also always, from 64, when I went to the United States, I uh, I wrote about the question sport. I went to Gladstone, to the United States Equestrian Team Center. Every year, four or five times, I met Steinkraus, I met uh, many, many of those people. And, uh, and so I wrote uh, partly for sports magazines, for uh, like the the Schweizer Kabbalist in Switzerland, for Hoofslach in Holland, for Erfema Hippie in France. I wrote about the equestrian sport already in '64, and uh, I continued that until I went back to Switzerland in '73.
0: Of course, this was the days long before the internet and electric typewriters. Were you writing on an old typewriter and then telephoning in your copy?
1: At that time, you had you, you, you sure you telephoned. For example, when I was at the, at the World Exhibition in in Montreal in seven in sixty seven, I telephoned uh, that to Zurich, and uh, but mostly you either text or you you send it by 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 airmail?
0: By air mail.
1: Oh yeah, sure.
0: So what was the type of deadline that you had then, Max, in those days, if you had to rely on airmail?
1: Yeah, I think you didn't send... Uh, the, the, I think the report, let's say, from a, from a, from a meeting at the United Nations, you were sent by telex, and you had a telex available at the United Nations. What you sent by airmail was always were general articles about the railroads, about... Uh, and you know a preview of of an election campaign or a review of of, of an opera or the, of a play on broadway that is same by email
0: fascinating of course and you've watched the evolution of uh, equestrian journalism today how do you regard those early days and and how it did affect the changes that it has today max you must have a very clear picture of of the intervening years
1: yeah I think what what struck me, in or what struck me later when it got lost, was the fact that in the 60s, until uh, the early 70s, most major newspapers in Europe had a, a for, had a, an equestrian correspondent, and then the first countries who were uh, abolished them were the, were the Germans, and. And those who kept it to the end were the British. So you always had Alan Smith for the Daily Telegraph or you had, uh, Pamela McGregor Morris for the, for the Times. But the Germans from 19, I would say 1975 on didn't have their own correspondent. They used, uh, stringers or, or, or people from the horse magazines to ask them to, to send them a small review in the evening or they, or they used the agencies. In some countries, it never reached the mainstream, like in the United States. In some others, like in France or in Germany or in Switzerland, certainly the Christian sport has lost space. In others, like Sweden, Finland, uh, it has gained. It has a lot to do with uh, with, uh, success.
0: Well, I want to talk about the, uh, now about the other roles that you've had in equestrian sport. As I mentioned a few moments ago, you were founder and a director of the FEI World Cup. And you were not obviously content just to be a journalist. You wanted to get on the other side as well.
1: I think if you read my, my early 1970 articles or reports on horse shows, you will realize that I didn't really write that David Brown won because he was faster and Harvey Smith. But I wrote uh, also the background, why, what motivates the people to, to run a horse show, how do they finance a horse show, uh, how, how much are the, the prices of the horses in relation to the price money they can earn. So those things have always interested me. And as I said, the, the, the loss of, of space or, or airtime uh, of the equestrian sport worried with me, and so I started to think what could be done about it.
0: And you certainly did, and you got into event organization, horse show organization, and, and I think you're still involved to some extent today, aren't you?
1: When I retired from the World Cup in 2003, I simply said I, I, I was writing these books mentioned before, the history of the championship, the history of the Olympic Games, so I said to, to myself and also to the FEI, I can only write books about the sport if I still continue to to go to horse shows. So I, I'm now on the appeals committee on about, uh, I don't know, no, no less, but in the beginning, about a dozen horse shows all over Europe. And uh, that keeps me informed.
0: It certainly does. And you obviously have been very involved in the engine room, if, if you will, uh, of, of the FEI committees in, involved with so many of those. I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, when you look back at the changes that you have witnessed, Max, what are the strongest memories of, of all the, from driving to jumping uh, and well-breeding, of course, uh, the breeding program that has uh, obviously been very effective now with the World breeding Federation, which you co-founded? How do you reflect on your time uh, being so active in the sport and the changes that took place?
1: Yeah, I would say that the question sport uh, in the beginning, in the 60s and 70s, or even earlier when when my father, Tarosha, was still very much a military sport and and the military didn't need uh, media and didn't need exposure. And I think that the big thing was really that in the 70s, and then in the eighties, nineties, the the riders and the, or the athletes, if you want, became more visible, and the horses became more uh, important. And uh, so I would say that, uh, but of course, the the problems came uh, parallel: the the doping, the the medication issues, the abuse of the horse. So I would say that, and so in a way that the equestrian sport is. Is like any other sport, uh, exposed to, to public scrutiny.
0: And of all the riders, of course, that you've watched throughout their careers in the different disciplines, Max, um, could you pick out any over several decades now that have inspired you and, and you've considered to be outstanding horsemen and women?
1: Yeah, my, my, my favorite rider certainly is Billy Steinkraus. Uh, because, in addition to being a great rider and a great horseman he was a, he was a great companion we, we He was the president of the World Cup committee for many many years and uh, we traveled together to australia to japan to to south south africa to to, to many many places together to moscow and uh, and, and talked and they, a lot while we ate and drank. And so he was certainly also a great influence on, on my thinking. Others, I think I had a, always a good relationship with uh, the Brits, with, uh, with mm-hmm. Harvey Smith, David Boom, John Whitaker. Then uh, I would say with Markus Fuchs, the Swiss. Then in Germany, uh, I had my battles with Paul Schockenmöhle. Uh, <laughs> and uh, And so I would say yes i had uh, and uh, i I met uh, a lot of interesting people among the riders
0: and in in terms of the driving obviously with, with your interest and involvement as a boy in the driving world, uh, you will have seen the sport of four in hand develop to where it is today with such international acclaim, of course, not least of all now as part of the world equestrian games that must uh, be a sense of quite pride and joy for you to watch the growth of that sport. I think
1: when I got the idea of doing a World Cup, originally the idea of a, of a World Cup for the for the for the drivers, for the foreign hand drivers, was to do it on outdoor events. But soon we realised that the differences between Aachen and and let's say a show like Bergberg in Holland. That's uh, you know that's. Um, there are huge differences in price, money, huge differences in, in 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 demands and so on. So I settled on a World Cup for for uh, for indoor uh, shows, and I I would say uh, the reason behind it was to show, bring driving, foreign hand driving, to a new public. I had realized that when you go to Apeldoorn or to Ark and driving or to Breda or to Beekberg or to Windsor the people watching there are mainly the, the driving insiders and for example if you go to the world championship in Holland among the 30,000 who are walking the, the marathon they come specifically because they like driving but so I thought with, the, with an indoor world cup doing connection with the jumping World Cup, at the, in, uh, in uh, at the major shows like Geneva, uh, like Bordeaux, like uh, like any other, uh, that you could attract uh, new public and to show how dramatic and powerful driving is to a new to the new people.
0: And, and it certainly is now. It, uh, it certainly proved to be a very popular and exciting sport that has uh, been brought to a wider public, thanks to your efforts, of course, uh, founding the FEI World Cup Driving. And your role as the press officer, Max, you have literally been all over the world wearing your hat as a press officer. Uh, I'm, I'm curious from that side of the desk, of the, all the experiences that you had, you must have also had some very funny moments too, Can you recall anything that is fit for broadcast?
1: You know, first of all, I must say that uh, that the FBI, it took the FBI a long time before it realized what that is a press officer. In other words, I was uh, in in the early Olympics, like uh, Montreal, uh, I was rather representing the Alliance of Equestrian Journalists and then the FBI. The FBI didn't know what to do. And even in 92, when we had this uh, this situation with the uh, qualifi- qualifying system for the jumping final, a uh, total disaster, uh, the FBI never thought of uh, using me as a, as a mediator between the, the unhappy journalists and the... Uh, and uh, officials who were more or less responsible for the disaster.
0: But do you have some amusing moments that you would like to share with us? Oh, you should have told me
1: that before, (laughs) then I would have thought of it.
0: (laughs) There must be so many, Max. I think this should be part of your autobiography. Now speaking. Yeah. Now speaking of of books, as you mentioned, you've written so many books. You've you've been an historian of equestrian sport now for many years, and uh, of course, you've also penned many media guides as part of your of your role too. And you mentioned that you're writing the history of the Olympic sports too. Of all those titles, does something else come to mind that you want to write now? Uh, after you finished your next book, do you have a schedule of what's left to be written?
1: Maybe I'm writing a little, uh, a little book about little anecdotes. I have, have some of them, and I'd like to tell you now one about Hugo Simon. Hugo Simon is the first winner of the World Cup, mm-hmm. and in '74 we had the, the CSIO and the Ladies World Championship in La Bole in France. And on the, on the Sunday afternoon, in addition to the uh, cl- uh, competition in the arena, there was a TV, and on TV they showed the final of the soccer World Cup. And Hugo Simon, who even loves soccer more than horses, sat in front of the TV. And so, and suddenly, the loudspeaker said, "And the next rider is Hugo Simon," and he was sitting in front of the <laughs> the TV. So he ran down, sat on the horse. Jumped it, it was Flipper, a very fast horse, and came back. And then again, maybe an hour later, the loudspeaker says, We are coming to the prize giving ceremony led by Hugo Simon. (laughs) So he had won and had not cared. So again, he jumped and jumped on the horse and got his money. A lot of uh, German uh, and Austrian uh, riders love football,
0: unbelievably. I hope his team won, then, if I hope it was worth the diversion. Well, you, of course, have watched, I don't know, countless numbers of rounds, both dressage, jumping, eventing, driving. Uh, It would go on and on uh, for a long time, Max, recounting. uh, And that in itself would be an interesting story. But I'm going to ask you to pick out of all those major competitions that you've been to around the world, maybe some memorable moments. What stands out right now when you think about some of those great rounds?
1: Yeah, actually, I, I was asked that question, which were your greatest horse shows you ever experienced? And I chose three. And I can tell them now. The first one was 1970, the World Championship in Jumping in La Baule in France, just when uh, four years before Hugo Simon did his act there. And I think that was the first competition of uh, where where was where television was live where a lot of journalists came and of course it was the first championship world championship olympic games held in Europe after 10 years because in 64 the Olympics were in, in, in Japan, 66 the World Championships were in, in Argentina, 68 the, the Olympics in Mexico. And so in 1970, for the first time in nearly 10 years, show jumping came back to, to, to Europe on the world level. And uh, that was a huge success and for me one of the most beautiful horse shows I ever attended. The second major thing I really liked were the, world, the first World Equestrian Games of 1919 in Stockholm. They were very well organized and had a lot of charm and in a way a certain innocence which probably they don't have today anymore. And the third one which I really liked were the Olympic Games of 2000 in Sydney. The, they were very efficiently organized, very friendly, and uh, so the two weeks in Sydney were really a pleasure.
0: And of all the things that you've done in your life, Max, of which accomplishments would you be most proud of now when you reflect on them?
1: I would say that more or less all the things I started, which means Lani peak, which means the, the Journalist Alliance, the World Cup Driving, the World Cup Jumping, the with the, the Jump, International Jumping Riders Club, which I co-founded also. I think they're still uh, alive and kicking.
0: And apart from your writing now, as you mentioned, the, the book that you're writing on the history of Olympic Games, what is a typical day in the life of Max Ammann now?
1: You have, I mean, have to compare it with earlier in, in let's say, 20 years ago, I I came home from a travel on Monday or Tuesday and I left again on Thursday. So in between, I I tried to organize my life, pay the bills and, uh, and, you know, as I said, kiss my wife and count my children. (laughs) Now it's different. Now I I stay a lot at home and uh, mostly I'm concerned with our art collection, so I, I work a lot with that. And uh, and also I organize a little bit all all the things I have accumulated over all these years. Uh, but aside of that, so either I read a lot or I travel, I still travel. I go, so like we were in Geneva, now we go to Basel, then in January comes Leipzig, and then in, uh, in April comes Hertogenbosch in, in Holland. And when you travel, then, uh, well... Then you are away for a week or even more. Except twenty years ago, I went by airplane. Now we all go by car.
0: Yes, it's so convenient. Of course, being in Switzerland. Now you mentioned your wife Corinne, Of course, you married in nineteen sixty-nine. Does she travel with you now when you go to these shows to make sure that you come back?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I. I. I think just about fifteen. 20 years ago, in the early 90s, I switched from, uh, from uh, the airplane, at least in Europe, to the, to the car. Uh, it happened that, uh, uh, you know, at that time I needed at the airport, I started to need a wheelchair, and so I, uh, and that's not so much uh, fun to, uh, because you rely on other people to go to the gate. And at the same time, our children had left House, so my wife had the time and uh, to, to come with me. So I would say since 1995, my wife more or less comes all the time with me.
0: And you mentioned that you read a lot, Max. What type of books do you read?
1: Yeah, it, it depends. In the bed, I read uh, pocket books, you know, novels. Uh, uh, how do you say uh, criminal stories, uh, mm-hmm. uh, old and new from Dashiell Hammett to, to the new ones. And uh, so, so I read a pocket book a day if I'm home. And then when I sit in the living room, like I do now, then I read art books or I
0: read horse books. A student of equestrian sport, aren't you, I think, and always will be.
1: Yeah, I, I, if I get one, like uh, Geneva published at the occasion of its 50th anniversary, it published a book done by Alban Poudre,
0: and um,
1: I'm reading it.
0: And have your children and grandchildren inherited any of your horse interests?
1: Not the horse interests, but uh, I would say the curiosity to do things. Of course, they they love to come to horse shows because at the horse shows, they got pocket money, they uh, they got to meet, you know, big. Big riders they got to do to, do to, to, to live in a nice hotel, so they always loved our shows but uh, and Ralph, uh, for a, for a few years worked for me and actually during that time, I, I sent him for three weeks to Gladstone. he worked for three weeks as a volunteer in Gladstone and uh, but now they each has their own job. Ralph is an event manager Christian is a lawyer. And Denise is a, a PR marketing person at the bank. And so they all have their own life. And uh, But if they come to our shows, Ralph goes every year to Helsinki. They have been in, uh, even the grandchildren, they have been in Mechelen, have been in uh, in Göteborg, in Leipzig, in, in, uh, in Geneva, in St. Gallen.
0: And when you reflect on the principles and the values that your parents bestowed upon you max what would you hope to pass along to the next generations
1: probably what has guided me that uh, you have to be open to everything you have to be curious but you have to work hard and if you are a big cheese at uh, 40 you still have to work That you are a big cheese at 50 or at 60.
0: my final question to you max at the end of the day when you close your door what matters most to you?
1: That also I'm um, probably a, uh, a difficult person. I didn't hurt too many people.
0: If you had a message to people in the horse world, what would it be, knowing that what you know now?
1: Watch it that, uh, that the sport doesn't disappear because, uh, uh, it, you know, scandals... Uh, uh, if... if, if, if it, like in football or in Formula One uh, racing, uh, car racing, whatever happens there, it, it's minimal against the, the the space the sport gets in the in the media or the airtime. While in the equestrian sport, if you have one or two scandal of doping, medication misuse, or, or abuse of the horse. Uh, then the danger is that those stories take more space than the, than the, the sport itself, and that's a danger. Because if the public opinion starts to believe that in horse sport there's more cheating than uh, than real sport, then that's the end of it.
0: Well, Max, it's been a very interested and very varied life, and I want to wish you luck with your future publications. We hope we'll be able to read those, not least of all your anecdotes, as well as your continued study and historian account of equestrian sports. Thank you so much indeed for sharing your memories of your life with us. Well,
1: thank you very much. It was a real pleasure, and uh, thank you.
0: Please join me again next time when we visit the life of another equestrian legend.